0: but I got some bad news for you. I'm tired too, and I tend to preach long when I'm tired. (laughs) I'm working on that. (laughs) Now, I am so thankful for so many who made this week uh, such a blessing of ministry. Thank you. Um, I can mention your name The Lord remembers and rewards everything that's done for his glory. And I'm so thankful for you in that work. Today we will read Exodus chapter 1 in our reading as we continue on our new series in the book of Exodus. Last week we started that series with an introduction. Today we'll start on the literal text, the actual text of chapter 1. This morning so please turn in your bibles if you don't have a bible of your own or ushers have bibles available just raise your hand right now they'll bring a bible to you that you can use throughout our service we see those hands we'll be bringing bibles anybody else all right so exodus chapter one if you don't already know exodus is the second book of the bible right after genesis <clears throat> genesis has 50 chapters exodus has 40 We'll be reading uh, Exodus chapter 1. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's word. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, "Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they sent they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses." Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah, and the other Pua, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes comes to them. So God dwelt or dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 1, from which we'll be preaching from this morning if you would remain standing with me we'll have a word of prayer after prayer our choir will come for special music and then the preaching on this passage from exodus chapter one main standing as we bow in a moment of prayer we thank you father for your grace that gave us strength to go through this week your grace that touched the heart of so many here sweet communion that they wanted to be helpful in this work, in this ministry, this unique ministry of, of working with our children and our youth and doing something that would be fun for them, but also have an opportunity to share your word. We're thankful for that work, Lord. We are thankful for it. We pray that you would bring fruit from it, even as we have several here today that are from the camp this week. We thank you for them coming here today. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up even more workers here, that will, will continue to spread your word and to take it out and minister to others with it. Now we pray for this day, we pray Lord that you would give us, help us to give attention to your word, to understand, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be instructed through your word this morning from Exodus chapter 1. Bless our understanding and move us to action that is pleasing to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. As you listen to the reading of Exodus chapter 1, you can see that there is a cloud over the nation of Israel at this part of their history. It is at an all-time low. In fact, I'll describe chapter 1 this way, it's under oppressive circumstances That God is going to bring forth his deliverer to bring redemption to his people. Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament says this. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I read that to show that there is a parallel between the events that happen in Exodus, and what God has used to bring our redemption. Of course, we looked at Exodus uh, in our introduction last week, and we see it is where God takes his people out of slavery, out of the bondage of Egypt, and he brings them out of that land into the land that he had promised them. Exodus is a reminder that God keeps his promise. God looks on his people. He sees their burden. He sees their oppression. And he sends a deliverer to save them. And he brings them out of that bondage. So it is a beautiful picture of God's redemption to his oppressed people. And that redemption comes through a mediator. Now, and I use that term mediator, it reminds me there are several pictures for us in Exodus that uh, are symbols that point to a greater spiritual truth for us. In other words, Exodus has some real life events in it, but those real life events point to a, uh, uh, even a more important or bigger spiritual reality that God wants us to understand. For instance... There, there are the people of God in slavery that are brought out from slavery into a promised land. What, does all, what is all the symbolism there? I want to go over some of it. But I want to start with the end of Genesis. Remember there was this one son of Jacob named Joseph. Joseph, in fact, is a picture, a portrait of Jesus himself. In that... He starts as a prisoner and a slave, and he ends up a leader that rescues his people. That's how Joseph pictures Jesus. Now, how did Jesus start out? He took on human flesh, and he became the servant of man, and he ends up to be The deliverer sent by God, the deliverer of man. There are other pictures and uh, symbolisms. I'm going to go through a few. I mentioned already the bondage and slavery is a picture of sin. Think about this. I I gave you the picture of Joseph who started out as a slave and ended up as a deliverer. Sin will have you start out as its guest. It welcomes you in, and you end up its prisoner or slave. That's what sin does to you. You know how you started. Whether you started drinking or smoking on drugs, you probably got the first one from a friend, free. Free. Here, man, enjoy. Come on in, get, get some of this. It's free, it don't cost much at all. But you end up robbing mom, dad, Uncles, neighbors, anybody to get what you, you are now a slave to it when you're done. There's other pictures in Exodus. There is the oppressor in Exodus. We'll see that in this chapter one. And that, that, that person, that, that, that title has a name or a, a title. He's the king of Egypt, he, we call Pharaoh. And he's a picture of Satan. Satan is the oppressor of God's creation, and specifically of God's people. Pharaoh wasn't going to let God's people go. Satan ain't letting anybody go unless somebody more powerful grabs him and makes him release his hold on God's creation. That's what God does. Somebody said it this way, you know, We talk about peace, 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 and, you know, we have people in our nation that talk about peace. We don't want any war. You know you can't have peace without somebody who's willing to go to battle. Because you have an oppressor, because you have someone who is taking something that doesn't belong to them, and they ain't finna give it up until somebody stronger comes and says, no, you're going to give that up. That's what the deliverer goes. So we see oppressor is Pharaoh and it speaks of Satan. There's a mediator or deliverer in Exodus that deliverer or that mediator is Moses and he is a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus. He's the mediator. First Timothy 2.5 says um, there is one mediator between God and man And that's the man, Christ Jesus. Moses was part of the people of Israel. He was a brother. He came in to deliver them. And we'll see as we get through Exodus that they, they, they they rejected him. They rejected Jesus who came to take on human flesh, to be a human being. He was rejected by his own, but he turned to be that deliverer. Um, Aaron is Moses' brother in the story of Exodus. You'll see him. But there is a picture between the relationship of Aaron and Moses. There's a picture that we are to get, and Exodus um, describes that, and it's the picture of prophet to God. Aaron is to be Moses' mouthpiece, because Moses complained to God, you can't send me, I'm, i I got a speech impediment. I, 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 I can't talk. That's what Moses said. God said, who made your mouth? He said, okay, I'm going to send Aaron for you or with you. You're going to speak to Aaron what you want Aaron to tell Pharaoh, and he's going to be a mouthpiece for you, and you are going to be God to him the text says, so there's a picture there of the relationship of Aaron to Moses to the relationship of prophet to God. There's a picture there. Uh, there's a picture of what is Egypt in Exodus. Egypt is a picture of the world, the world system, and that which we are living in that helps to bring us the oppression that we suffer from. Um, if you have the world, you also have... The picture of the promised land. Remember, Exodus is the, milk, the, 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 the land of milk and honey, right? Um, it's the promised land. Of course, that's the picture of heaven for us. It's the picture of the wilderness that the people of Israel go through. There, the wilderness is the picture, then, of the trials and the hardships in this life that those who are on the pilgrimage, Pilgrimage of God as God's people, those who have been saved, who are walking now through this life, go through difficulties and hardships from which God gives them the power to overcome. Uh, other pictures there uh, Israel. Israel is a picture of God's people. They're God's people of the Old Testament. They're picturing the deliverance that God brings to his people, those who trust in Christ. The plagues are pictures in Exodus, the pictures of God's judgment. Um, the other pictures, the, the Passover lamb, is a picture of Christ himself. Egypt's army cast into the sea. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of Satan and his army thrown into what? Into the lake of fire. So we see pictures there all over. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that lead Israel step by step and day by day is a picture of God's leading his direction that comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, So many, many pictures um, uh, and and images for us or symbols for us to understand God wants us to see this story and he wants us to get the, the truth from this story ...that he has for us. So let's get right into chapter 1. In verses 1 through 5, we see the scene is set. Uh, Jacob has moved his family to Egypt. That all happened in Genesis. We went through that last week. God reassures Jacob and tells him to, yes, go ahead, Jacob. Don't be afraid. Move your family to Egypt... Um, because i will be with you there's a spiritual lesson there um god sends us he's with us through thick and thin through ups and downs through hardships and uh he often will tell us to do things that will bring us into hardship or difficulty it is not God's purpose to alleviate all hardships from us in this life. In fact, what he does is he uses hardship for, to, to help us grow dependent and to trust in him and to look for his solutions through our hardship. So if you think it's your job to skate around all the hardships in your life, you'd... You're trying to be God. Trust God. Go in his direction and trust him to give you all that you need to face the challenges that you will face. So he moves Jacob and his entire family. It was was interesting. I was listening to our our number for um, Sunday school this morning. Anybody know what that number was? 75, right. And it tells us here in this text that that Jacob moved his family. It was 70 people at the time. That didn't include uh, uh, Joseph, who was already in Egypt. And so you can see it's kind of a small group, but they're grown now into an entire nation when we get into uh, Exodus. All right. Eventually, Jacob dies in Egypt, and um, Joseph takes his body back, to Canaan, the land of Canaan, and there he is buried in the land of Canaan. I'll give you some references for that. It's Genesis 49, and Genesis 50, verse 4 and 5, and other verses in chapter 50 as well. Um, so that's Jacob. But now Joseph eventually dies in Egypt, and he has his family promise to deliver his bones, his remains, back to Canaan and to take them with them. And uh, we can actually see this carried out. Joseph does this by faith. In other words, he's saying, look, I know that God has sent us into Egypt, but I also know that he's going to bring us to that land that he has promised us. He's not going to leave us here. He's going to bring us back. When God, he says to his people, when God delivers us, Even though I'm dead, I want you to take my bones, my remains, and plant them back in the promised land, in Canaan. Um, Both Moses and his successor, Joshua, follow his command. I just want to take a moment if we can look at that. Um, Look at Exodus 13, verse 19. This is Moses leading the people out of Egypt, and this is what he does. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, Joseph with him. But Joseph made his sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you should carry up my bones with you from here. All right, there's a couple things I like from that. Joseph shared his faith with his family, knowing what God's promise was. And Moses obeyed that promise. Uh, um, command that he had gotten from his forefather, uh, Joseph. I also want you to see if you turn ahead uh, into Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. Joshua 24, uh, verse 32. I just want you to see this very quickly. It says, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob brought from the sons of Hamor, the the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And so um, there we see that um, Joshua, actually you can read earlier in that chapter, you see Joshua was the one, who had those bones delivered. He wanted to complete the command that Joseph had given and that Moses had helped carry out. All right, let's go back to Exodus chapter 1. We see that uh, Joseph dies in Egypt, and in verse 7, eventually all of Joseph's generation dies in the land of Egypt. And then something begins to happen. It says in verse seven, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. In other words, God blessed his people in Egypt. They began to grow. It says not just grow, they multiplied. If you know math, you realize something more powerful than addition is multiplication. They multiplied. It says to the point where they filled the land. God blesses his people uh, where they are during their trial, um, where they were there in Egypt. But this growth and this blessing becomes a concern to a new leader in Egypt. And we see in verses 8 through 22 what I've entitled the oppressor. Let's look at that. Verse 8 says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The oppressor arises. He's a new king. In in Egypt, they called their leader or their king Pharaohs. Here's a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. You ever have a new authority come in your life? A new boss, a new supervisor, and uh, somebody who didn't know you or probably may not know uh, your previous boss or may not appreciate the favor that he had you under, but now you have a new one in control. You need to know that God is still in control, regardless of who is at the head or who has that title, whether that's your whether you are in a country like America, regardless of who is president, regardless of who is in the legislature, regardless of who are in those positions, understand and know. And in fact, my comfort comes from the fact that I know that God is in control. doesn't mean hardships might not come. It doesn't mean that difficult times may not come. But it's good to know, even in those times, that God is in control. God's going to have a battle with this new king. Because my Bible tells me that he's the Almighty, not the Some Mighty. And anybody who raises themselves up and wants to go against his purpose and against his will are going to clash with him. Exodus is the video of that clash. We're going to get to see it. We're going to see the details of where a person ends up when they try to battle God. You know, some of us have been that foolish to try to battle God in our lives. In fact, we all started out in that way, where we battled God. We just finished the book of Acts, and we see an individual named Paul who tried to battle God. And, and Jesus said to him, Paul, it's hard for you to fight against God the the goads, the pointed sticks that are telling you go that direction. In other words, you know the, the pointed stick is saying, I suggest to you to go that direction. And you can say, well, I don't care what you suggest. I'm going in this direction. Go right ahead. The stick is pointed and saying, you'd be better off going. It's hard to go against me. Every one of us We're sinners at one point going against God's will till God opened our eyes and changed our heart and helped us to realize God is going to do some things in Pharaoh's life and, and for all Egypt to see, and yet they still would not turn to honor God. That's a shame part of what we see in Exodus in an example to us some people are just that foolish and hard-headed they will not submit to god you can be that person if you like it just doesn't end well that's what we're here to say i can't make you do anything it's just not going to end well and that's where pharaoh is the example <clears throat> notice his oppression is based on fear and control in verse 9, he says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. He says, I got to keep a hand over these people because I'm afraid because they're growing so big, they outnumber us, and I'm going to lose my control over them. It's interesting to know that, that oppression often comes out of... Fear and a need for control. You need to know, first of all, that those who operate from fear and control are working in opposition to God and from a lack of faith. The very opposite of fear and control is faith and submission. It's faith, and submission that's what god is calling us to faith in god is often referred to the fear of god because we have a respect and a reverence for the lord and a trust in him when we fear god we're comfortable and willing to be under his control in other words submissive to him This new king, this pharaoh, was fearful of losing control. (laughs) I put a note in my notes. Governments often operate this way. They try to be in control. They are in fear of losing control, and they often institute a lot of policies so that they might gain and try to keep that control. As believers, we're not comfortable because we're in control. We're comfortable because we know that God is in control and he has established a loving relationship with us. So, this Pharaoh inflicts tactics on the people of God, but we see that his tactics backfire. In verses 12 through 14, it says this the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And so to try to have control over everything is a battle you just can't win. And so he tried to control, he tried to keep them under his thumb. But God blessed them and and increased them and they multiplied even more. He doubled down on his tactics in verse 15 through 22. He commanded the killing of every male child that was born. And from this, we see two heroes that emerge. They're called midwives. They are like birthing nurses. Pharaoh commands them to kill every male baby of the Hebrews that's born, but to keep the females alive. I want you to see something about what happens with these two individuals. First of all, notice that their name. Did you notice that? The Bible gives us their name. In verse 15 it says, their name was Shipra and the other Pua. Now you need to know something, that the Bible doesn't always give names of the individuals in the story. And especially to females, to ladies in the story, not many are often named. But to these, they're named. Now what is that? That is special recognition for what it is that they do, God is elevating them in his eternal word so that we might notice something about them. They are applauded. First of all, they fear God more than Pharaoh. And that's what faith does. It combats Fear. It's not that they had no fear of Pharaoh, because he was large and in charge. He was the biggest one there. He, he had more authority probably than any other kingdom on earth at that time, and he was a king. So they had a, a healthy respect for him, but here's what controlled them. They had a more healthy respect and fear and reverence for God than they had for any Pharaoh. And that's what prompted them to right action. Who do you fear? Who do you respect? Who do you honor? When you honor God, that goes over any other fear or respect or honor that you have. And that's the example that these midwives show to us. The other thing they show us is that true faith always comes out in action. Don't tell me anything about your faith if you can't show me. If if it doesn't appear at the very uh, critical times in your life, then your faith is blank. It's empty. It's not worth mentioning. Men, tell me about your faith and your faithfulness to your wife. Tell me about your faith in in your zeal and your passion to raise and be examples to your children. Tell me about your faith in what you do in obedience to God. Not what you say and how you want others to look at you. They led by example. There's something amazing here. The whole nation is under attack by Pharaoh. Have you ever wondered why he chose to put to death all the male babies in Israel or the Hebrew babies? He knew that leaders are born and raised and brought up from home that will take their men and children as children and train them and teach them, and they eventually become kings and leaders. Satan has been under, we have been under Satan's attack since day one. He's going to attack those who are potential leaders in their home, leaders in their community, and eventually from that group, leaders in their nation he's strategic in what he's doing Pharaoh is saying I'm not going to bring up anybody that's going to be a challenge to me a threat to me Pharaoh is actually very weak and very concerned that somehow one of these poor Hebrew slaves is going to come and do battle with him (laughs) I say he's weak but he's smart <laughs> because that's exactly what happens. But I want you to notice the great degree that he does, he goes through to prevent that. He does all he humanly can do to stop a child from being raised up in a good family. If you kill all the males, in the, f- there's going to come a generation where you will have no men, no fathers. No brothers, no men to do the work, no men to set an example, no men to bring hope. He, has, he was going to bring this nation all the way down to where they had nothing but slaves and no hope to look for. He was eliminating all possibility of a deliverer being raised up. But God had a say in that. I want you to notice how God altered Satan's scheme through Pharaoh. He did it by two, he didn't do it by an army, he didn't do it by angels sent from heaven, he did it by two women, two women who says, you know what, I'm more fearful and respectful of God than I am anybody named pharaoh and they chose to obey god the truth is very simple you don't kill an innocent child male or female you don't kill them just because the king tells you to do that so pharaoh came and said well well, what's up how come all these little babies living?" What, hey, Pharaoh, man, you don't know our culture, man. These women get ready to have a baby, and they just, boom, the baby coming. We can't do nothing about it. Now, you and I know that wasn't the case. But they stood up to Pharaoh in their own way. It's because they trusted God, because they feared God, because they had respect God. God it came into their everyday life they just said -uh, uh, no we can't do that ain't no way we are gonna do that what's gonna happen to you girl it don't matter we ain't doing that two women two women preserve God used to preserve an entire nation Also, see how Pharaoh he's rendered ineffective, not by some great political movement that comes his way, not by an army of militants that storm his castle, not even by a team of legislators who come and infiltrate this nation, and turn it around to something else. It's simple. Two women that just say, I'm going to obey God. I want you to see, in this whole chapter, God is setting up the scene. It seems like a dismal picture. His, his people have rushed to Egypt to find shelter from from, from their own land that was in famine that was back in Joseph's day and they seemed like they got stuck in Egypt now they get stuck God sent them there and he sent them there for a purpose 400 years later they find themselves slaves hated by the people of their land and under attack by the highest commanding person in that entire nation they are doomed they are slaves, and he wants to kill every boy in the land. God is setting the scene. God has set the scene. And he's setting the scene for chapter 2. But he's showing that these two midwives saying, no, we're not killing our babies. We're going to obey God. And here's what happens. I want you to notice what happens when you take a stand for God. Verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Because of their stand to obey God, it says God dealt well with them. I don't know exactly what he did. Later on in the verse, he says he gave them families, but, but I don't know all that that means. But here's what I do know. When you take a stand for God, yes, there is a threat against you. And there is harm that can come your way. But know that God stands with you. And also know that your mere stand will impact many. It says the people multiplied and grew very strong. Because these two women were faithful, the whole nation was blessed because of it. It says in that next verse, verse 21, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Notice the power of these two women in the next verse, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people. I want you to get get what it's saying there. Remember what he did? It's like Pharaoh's in his office Put the midwives on the phone. No matter I'm coming right down there. And I'm going to talk to them myself. What's up with y'all? I gave you a direct command to kill all the male babies. What's the end of that? Can you picture Pharaoh walking out of his office? The next thing he does, what does it say? Pharaoh commanded all his people. What does that tell you? He got nowhere with the midwives. He got absolutely nowhere with them. And so he tried to go around and well, look, if y'all ain't gonna do what I say, I'ma I'm a, I'm a, I'm a change legislation so that all y'all will carry out what I want y'all to do. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but every, excuse me, but you shall let every daughter live. In other words, he had to do an end around, around the midwives because they would not change. You see the power they have when they decided to obey God? Even Pharaoh is at a loss. So he takes his power to try to affect the people. And he did it. We're going to see the result of that in the next chapter. Now I'm sure... There were quite a few babies thrown into the Nile. Israel is still going through suffering from this. But I just want you to see, God is just setting a scene. He's setting a very dark and dreary scene of his people. They're in a low place. But there is hope because two women decided to be faithful to the God, the father of God, their father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They decided to trust him and live in obedience to him. God is going to raise up a deliverer from this low state that Israel is in. He's built this picture. Here's, here's what I want you to know God is in the habit of building it up so he can knock it down. God is in the habit of setting a dreary scene so the sun can rise and blaze and point to him. God is in the the habit of coming at the darkest time and showing himself strong. He wants you to see that. He has set this scene. You know, if you picture things as just getting out of hand, you picture the wrong kind of God. Ain't nothing out of hand for him. He's just set it up that way so that when he does his thing, you see what he's doing. You're going to notice this throughout Exodus. He tells Pharaoh this, look, you're just a puppet. I have set you up so that my strength and my glory might be seen and magnified all across your nation." And that's exactly what he's doing. So don't fear the Pharaohs in your life. Yes, they have a lot of power. But fear the one who has all the power and is establishing a loving relationship with you. Come into that relationship with the one who really is in control. He gave Pharaoh whatever power he has. And he manipulates Pharaoh as he pleases to bring about his glory. So God has set a dark scene so he'll shine and all of Israel and even some from Egypt will look and say, Now, wow, that is the awesome God. I'll serve him. Father, we thank you for the scene that you set. We don't often understand it. If we were in Israel, we'd be crying and maybe even complaining about the conditions. But these two faithful women didn't know how, didn't know when, but they knew you'd stand up. They were willing to take the punishment. They were willing to be killed. But they decided to obey you. And you stood up. You're setting the scene so that when your deliverer comes and you redeem your people, you get all the credit. All the credit belongs to you. Lord, I pray that those of us today who have been redeemed by you right now will begin to give you all the credit. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't by chance. It was you orchestrating every event in their life and drawing them to yourself. May we give you all the praise. May we give you all the glory. May we also recognize that you're still saving today. You're still setting up that same scene so others might glorify you and come to faith in you. Have that loving relationship that you offer them. And I pray, Lord, if there's any here today that want to have that relationship with you that they might realize they need to trust in your son, Jesus. This all points in a powerful way to Jesus. He is the deliverer that was rescued from a king that ordered the massacre of all male children of his race. But they still couldn't get him. It's funny, Lord, you had your son go to Egypt. (laughs) to hide and the king in his land commanded all the children to be killed you brought him back You have him raised up in a little town of Nazareth you raised him to be the deliverer and he didn't deliver by his physical power he delivered by dying on a cross But some don't understand, he's going to come in his physical mighty power and deliver us once and for all from this sin-cursed world. We believe you, Father. We trust you. We want to give our lives for your sake by trusting in your deliverer, Jesus. Speak to hearts right now, Lord. They might fall down before Jesus and ask him to be their deliverer, to save them from sin. Those who have been delivered by Jesus, Lord, help us to walk in obedience to him now. And we pray this now in Jesus' name.